Welcome to another edition of Target 1.5. Target 1.5 is a mini-series from our podcast, a kind of audio guide with invaluable information and expertise to give you the confidence to start implementing sustainable practices, which will in turn help you play your part in limiting global heating to 1.5 degrees. In this series, we're meeting business leaders from three key industries, finance, law, and food and beverage. We'll be finding out how they've changed the way they do business to become more sustainable, and we hope they'll inspire you to do the same. I'm your host, Will Richardson, and with me is our in-house climate strategist, Emma Littlewood. Now, if you have a business in the food and beverage sector, we've put together an exciting case study that's right up your street. We'll be talking to Louisa Zion, the co-founder of Toast Ale, a pioneering brewery which brews beers from surplus bread that would otherwise go to waste. Beer brewing is one of the most emissions-intense industries in the world, and Toast Ale is leading the way in this sector. And if you don't brew beer, a lot of their knowledge and experience can be applied to the food and beverage industry as a whole. So, how do Toast Ale reduce their emissions in a carbon-intensive industry? Over to you, Louisa. To ensure that our business practices are sustainable, we are accountable to a board that has representation that's focused on our environmental mission. Uh, Tristram Stewart, uh, who's one of the founders of Toast, sits on our board um, with exactly that hat on. Um, So any key decisions that we make, um, key strategic decisions that we make, need to go through the board and not only um, are we as an operating business um, ensuring that the decisions that we make are sustainable, but also that we are um, fully challenged at the board level to ensure they are. Um, As a B Corp, our articles of association have been changed to ensure that we are uh, we are working for people and the planet, not just profit, which means that the directors have a fiduciary duty to ensure that happens. Um, and so the board level accountability is is really, really important. I think also the culture of the business is, is, is absolutely essential. Um, the team itself are all very motivated um, by our environmental mission. It's what brought most people to us in the first place. And so we are we are all here to achieve that mission. Um, myself, I previously worked as a an account, a carbon accountant um, at, the, at the Carbon Trust, um, working on climate change policy for big business. Um, and my co-founder, Rob Wilson, was uh, leading an organisation called Ashoka, looking at how change makers can bring about social change as, as well as environmental change. So we are both very dedicated to to the mission. Um, so yeah, there's a there's very much a, a tactical, cultural, and strategic control over our mission. And that's exactly why we chose them to be in our case study for this episode. Toastale is the perfect example of an organisation that's proved you can still be a successful business with sustainability embedded in every level of your organisation, especially from the top down. Now, Emma, for organisations in the food and beverage industry, what can be achieved through top-level buy-in? Top-level buy-in is really important in any industry. Uh, We found through working with clients that um, if we don't have top-level buy-in, 
we haven't got any purchase in various departments across the business. Um, and what they've done at Toast Ale has really, really made a huge difference to what they're able to implement on the ground. And it's taking everyone with them. It's really impressive. Um, and we, we do have experience of working with clients that don't have top level buy-in. And it is making those challenges of um, reducing emissions and increasing sustainability much harder. Right. Okay. So let's see how this top-level buy-in has trickled down into Toast Ale systems. Packaging is obviously a huge part of the food and beverage industry. So let's hear how they've tackled that issue. For us, our biggest sources of emissions are in our packaging and then in our our production processes. Um, For reducing our emissions then, which for us is key, Um, We have set a target to be net zero by 2030 and we want to do that through reduction um, as far as possible. So to reduce our emissions, we have looked at our packaging um, and uh, introduced um, new messaging for customers. Predominantly, we are using aluminium cans and glass bottles. We added aluminium cans uh, just two years ago because um, aluminium uh, has a smaller carbon footprint overall. There there are benefits to glass um, uh, and benefits to aluminium, but when we looked at the two together, we found that aluminium offered um, the 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 best outcome from an um, environmental perspective. The key though is that those cans are recycled. Um, the mining of bauxite, the virgin material for aluminium, um, is incredibly energy intensive. And so the more recycled materials we can keep in the system to prevent that aluminium, that valuable material being lost, the better. Um, we can significantly reduce the impact of aluminium production by through the circular economy, essentially by mining out less um, raw materials and keeping what we've already produced in the system. Aluminium is a great material because it's infinitely recyclable and, you know, at your can of beer could be part of an aircraft engine and that aluminium can really be used for anything. So we introduced aluminium uh, two years ago and have been communicating with customers um, about the relative benefits of it, but also the vital importance of recycling. Um, For our own emissions, we've also um, been looking at packaging more broadly within our system um, and removed plastic from our packaging system. Um, We used to have our glass bottles, for example, in a cardboard tray that was shrimp wrapped with with plastic. Um, We've been able to remove that now from the process and move to fully recycled and recyclable FSC certified cardboard boxes. Um, So there is still a lot that we need to do on packaging. Uh, We have also tried reuse systems. We introduced uh, what we call growlers. There are about four pints of beer in a reusable glass container that people can refill at uh, either you know a local tap room or we worked with Waitrose as part of their unpacked scheme so people could take those containers to the Waitrose stores that were participating refill the beer um, enjoy it you know over the weekend 
keep hold of that glass container, wash it, take it back to Waitrose um, where it would be sterilized and, and refilled. So there's no packaging waste at all. That, that is the, the optimum. Um, and we would love to see more of that um, way of working introduced in the system. Um, of course, the, the best really is to have no packaging at all. So um, for people looking to have the, you know, the lowest impact personally on, on your packaging footprint would be to go to your local pub, have a pint in a glass um, that's hopefully been poured from a reusable keg um, or cask. Uh, and yeah, and then there's no packaging involved at all. That also was key for us. Some breweries are using plastic kegs. Uh, so we work with a company called Kegstar that use steel kegs and they collect those after they're emptied, clean, sterilise, return those to breweries to be refilled. Now, packaging is a really important consideration for businesses in this industry. A significant amount of waste, energy, water and emissions can be saved by reducing or changing packaging. Louisa, as you've just heard, has reviewed the impact of glass and aluminium, and there are pros and cons with both of these materials. Emma, how can a business in the food and beverage industry reduce their impact on the environment through packaging? Yes, as we've just heard from Louisa, packaging is really complicated to get right because the starting point is always going to have to be you've got to have the appropriate material for your product. So, for example, in the food and beverage industry, packaging must comply with hygiene and safety rules and obviously must protect the contents from damage. And that's your bottom line. Balancing those requirements with carbon emissions and other environmental impacts requires knowledge of the raw materials, the manufacturing processes, and the reality about whether the packaging will truly be recycled. So while glass, for example, has a good recycling rate of over 70% in the UK, other materials like plastic packaging is much lower at around 47%. Louisa explained how at Toast Ale, they've come a very long way on their sustainability packaging journey. They've tracked down the most efficient packaging that fulfills its purpose whilst minimising emissions over its entire lifetime. It's interesting because, as she points out, although the primary production of glass is much less carbon intensive than aluminium, which requires significantly more energy during production and the mining of bauxite, when you measure the impacts of recycled cans versus recycled bottles, the cans fare increasingly better with each turn around the recycling circle. On top of this, the heavier bottles cause increased transport and distribution emissions in each loop of their circular journey. And so the lighter packaging, when recycled enough times, not only reduces the embodied emissions within its materials, but also reduces the transportation emissions. Louisa talked about Toast Ale's growlers. Reuse is always better environmentally and has a smaller carbon footprint than recycling, and companies should consider offering their customers refillable options or a return scheme, which can be a challenging project to put in place, but can drastically cut emissions. We recently conducted a study, actually, for a drinks company comparing the carbon emissions from a bottle return scheme that they were running with simply recycling. And the results showed that reusing once saved around 18% of emissions, but that increased to 36% of emissions when reusing 15 times, which is the average number of times a bottle is reused in the UK. 
although glass can be reused an infinite number of times, as she points out, aluminium can as well. And there are other actions you can do, such as reducing the weight of the glass in each bottle, although that is a fine balancing act because you've got to have the minimum strength required. And of course, sourcing your bottles with a high percentage of recycled content. So all in all, packaging has a huge part to play in our lives and especially in the food and beverage industry. Um, improvements in sustainable packaging, removing packaging altogether where possible, and replacing plastic wherever possible is a challenge that many in the industry are determined to just persevere with, really. So once you've packaged your products, you've obviously got to distribute them to their points of sale. And you may have to travel to key meetings to generate sales. Travel and transport is something Toastel have thought about too. Other areas have included looking at um, our travel footprint. We previously um, had uh, like relatively few uh, journeys travelled um, internationally because we don't export our beer. We decided right at the beginning that it was it, it did not make sense from a environmental perspective to be moving heavy containers of liquid all around the world when there are breweries and great ingredients uh, and beer drinkers, you know, all over all over the world. So instead, we we. Uh, set up a collaboration model working with others but we did used to travel um, to meet some of those key partners um, and our flight footprint actually were, was relatively significant for for relatively few um, journeys um, that we I guess we wouldn't have really anticipated if we hadn't done that analysis we then decided that we would move away from the international travel of course COVID and the lockdown um, made that decision very easy for us. But um, I think that has also helped the expectations of others that you that you travel to them. So um, we're very confident that we will um, maintain that commitment going forward. I think what Toastel have done here is really, really clever. Instead of shipping their product, which is also another financial cost to a business, They've created partnerships with other breweries in other countries to reduce their travel footprint. Emma, how else could a food and beverage business reduce its transport and distribution footprint? Yes, great question. Um, Transport and distribution is really, really big for us at the moment. And um, working with not just food and beverage, but obviously e-com companies in in the sort of wake of COVID or perhaps it's still going on. Um, there are so many more online food and drink and online other things as well. So e-com is huge. Um, and some of the things that people are doing are working to look at which transport and distribution freight providers um, have got a lower carbon emission intensity per kilometre. And they will collaborate with those um, suppliers and they'll say, okay, so how can we help you on your journey to decarbonize your fleet? They will look at transporting by sea rather than air um, and they will engage with their customers to explain why they might have to wait longer for their products. They will um, look at also transporting, interestingly, by rail and that's obviously quite challenging because uh, a lot of freight doesn't go by rail so much anymore. But hauliers um, are working with food and drink companies to look at how to um, shift that. 
In the heavy goods vehicles industry, they will collaborate with suppliers to look at how they can move perhaps to hydrogen um, with uh, the smaller, what they call the last mile. They'll look at decarbonising their fleet through uh, taking advantage of government grants or bursaries, etc., to be able to install electric vehicle charging points. And this is how people are, are tackling this. So it's a sort of a multifactorial kind of challenge, really. Okay, now let's get to the heart of Toastale's business, the process of actually brewing the beer. As we heard earlier, beer brewing is one of the most emissions-intensive industries in the world. How does Toastale tackle that one? The other area that I'm working on now is looking at our our brewery-based emissions. We contract brew. We don't own our own facilities. And we did that because there are breweries that exist with spare capacity all around the country. Uh, we didn't want to create an additional land footprint and a, you know an additional capital footprint from buying the kit that we wouldn't be using all of the time when there is already slack in the system. So we work with existing breweries and, uh, and use their facilities. We have our own brewer in-house um, who looks after our recipe development, quality assurance, and and uh, the brew process itself. Um, but the ownership, and so the ownership of those emissions as well, strictly sits with our partner breweries. Um, now it's very important that we work with them to understand how we can address emissions associated with heating, particularly um, where we're, we're warming the liquid, the water, um, the liquor that is used to produce the beer and then to maintain the temperature throughout the brew process. Um, and also the, the CO2 that's released during fermentation about 10% of our emissions last year was CO2 released directly uh, from the tanks during fermentation. So um, I want to look at how we can capture that CO2 and can we use that in the carbonation of the beer itself. Um, Looking at yeah, some uh, other breweries that have already done that um, and technologies that do already exist there. But how do we work with our partners to make sure that we can take advantage of those when we ultimately don't have the final say? There's a lot of work um, that needs to be done still. We, um, we have made this commitment to be net zero by 2030 and uh, we have a, a roadmap to achieve that Um, but yeah a lot of work still to be done and lots of um, partners both from our supply chain and our customers that we need to work with um, collaboratively to achieve those reductions. Brewing is a carbon intensive process and Toastale as you've heard have done a lot of innovative things to reduce their emissions. Louisa mentioned it is now possible to capture and repurpose CO2 to brew beer Emma, could you expand on this a bit more, please? Yes, thanks, Will. Um, the yeast that's used to ferment beer breaks down the malt sugar um, and converts it to alcohol and carbon dioxide, which, instead of being released, is then captured through a kind of piping system, which then converts it to a liquid and it's stored in a box, a bit like a large fridge, and Although it hasn't been really accessible to smaller breweries, recent developments have made this easier. So that's great progress. And um, the carbon dioxide that they 
capture is then actually fed back into the system because it's used to carbonate beer, which is amazing. And especially in the light of, you know, when we had carbon dioxide shortages in the UK and, and, and in other places across Europe, the fact that they're becoming more autonomous and less reliant on um, external sources of carbon dioxide also makes this a rather sort of beautiful kind of circular system. What Toastel have done is brilliant. And when it comes to measuring their success, they've adopted a simple, effective and quite frankly, ingenious method. To measure our success, we have a very simple KPI, Key Performance Indicator, which is based on uh, the amount of bread that we've been able to, to rescue to prevent going to waste. So we measure the number of slices. And by the end of 2020, we'd brewed with over 2 million slices of bread, which when you stack up, that reaches approximately the height, the three times the height of Everest. So it's a significant amount of bread that we're able to prevent being wasted. And yet it's relatively small um, in the scale of how much we waste as a country and globally. Overall, globally, we waste about a third of all the food that we produce. And certainly in the UK, bread tops that list. Uh, We waste about 44% of all of the bread that is produced in the UK. So we've reduced that significantly, but not significantly um, enough. And our approach, therefore, is to look at how we can influence other breweries to be circular, to use surplus bread as part of their processes um, and support them on that journey. There are challenges with brewing in a circular way um, to do with sourcing um, good quality sources of surplus ingredients, whether that's bread or other ingredients that um, many businesses use within the circular economy, um, how to process if needed those ingredients and then how to adapt any systems and processes you already have within the business to be able to use those. Um, So we open source a recipe that anybody can access via our website, that home brewers can use, that small breweries can use and bigger breweries can collaborate directly with us so that we can provide more hands-on advice. And we also try to measure the impact that we are having through those collaborations. So we're not taking full credit for what other breweries are doing, but we are internally measuring the impact that they're having as a result of the work that we're doing. All of those slices of bread saved, we can also translate into the carbon emissions that have been avoided, both by preventing that bread from ending up in landfill, but also by reducing the amount of barley that is needed to be used as well. Barley has quite a significant uh, carbon footprint um, because of the malting process that requires a lot of heat and water. Um, We can measure the amount of water that we have saved and also the amount of land that is not needed to grow that barley that would have otherwise been used. So those are our key environmental uh, measures of success. So this is a toast lager. Um, It's brewed with approximately one slice of surplus bread per can. 
Um, and um, as this is actually our, our low alcohol lager that we have here. It's part of a series called Rise Up, where we've partnered with B Corp businesses to raise awareness about the impact of the food system on different elements of our ecology. This one is about our oceans and is a collaboration that we have done with tea pigs. Um, what is making this different, I think, from what most other breweries are doing is that not only do we have a circular approach to the process, um, so we're using surplus bread within our beer with others within the series we've used other ingredients as well so for example we have a mango ipa that was brewed with um, oddbox and flawsome drinks both b corps uh, those mangoes were surplus to requirements because the demands from the supermarkets um, do not always marry up with the production at the farm level. Farmers are having to produce more to ensure that they will meet the orders um, that they receive from supermarkets. Um, and of course, crops can be unpredictable. So it's really important that they are able to fulfill those orders, but it often leaves um, leaves them with surplus that they maybe don't have a, a route to market for. So there are businesses like Oddbox and Flawsome who take those ingredients produce um, like incredible drinks on, on the behalf of a flawsome or a veg box schemes uh, as odd box do. So working with other businesses and I think that is one of the key differences um, for toast that we are very very collaborative as a business that we're seeking to demonstrate that you can be part of of a movement of businesses that are wanting to achieve change. Um, you can do your bit by simply enjoying uh, a pint, um, but also the profits from the sale of these drinks go to charities that are working to fix the food system. So our main charity partner is called Feedback. They campaign for changes to industry practice at, at government level. Um, they were the organisation that brought to the forefront the idea of wonky fruit. Food waste, as we know, results in a huge amount of carbon emissions needlessly being released into the atmosphere. I say needlessly because, as Louisa has just pointed out, produce that was previously too ugly, in excess, or not the right size, would be wasted. But now, new organisations are seeing the economic opportunity and capitalising on this. Emma, what do you think about this? How big an impact is made on the environment when surplus produce that is otherwise destined to go to the bin is instead repurposed into a product? As you might imagine, it, it's a massive impact. Um, Toastale are a prime example of success in this space because they've built a business which is creating a product that's made from other businesses' surplus produce. Uh, for them, it's bread. And I think this is sort of a, an example of the circular economy in action. Louisa mentioned Odd Box, who use unwanted odd fruit and vegetables to fill their boxes and deliver to customers. Um, the impacts of growing fruit and vegetables are high. And so, so therefore, taking this waste fruit and veg, or in the coast of Toastale, waste bread, putting it back into the food system enormously reduces carbon emissions, not to mention other impacts, other environmental impacts. 
And so, yeah, for, for toast ale, production's taken second place behind packaging in the most carbon intensive part of their supply chain. However, when we've conducted studies for food companies, by far the biggest component of their carbon footprint has been food production. So reducing food and drink waste or reusing it and putting it back into the food system can slash emissions. Of course. So growing produce for the food and beverage industry has a significant impact on the environment. Here's Louisa again. One of the surprising discoveries I made on my sustainability journey was the importance of our soils. I have known for a long time that um, we we need to reduce our emissions and I've been very skeptical about offsetting. I don't believe in purchasing carbon credits to, in theory, negate um, the emissions uh, that we're releasing to the atmosphere. I've always wanted to to look at reduction. Um, I've been very interested in nature-based solutions, looking at uh, primarily the protection of ancient forests that do such an incredible job in terms of drawing down carbon, but also they're vitally important for for biodiversity and for indigenous peoples. it was through a collaboration with Rebel Kitchen as part of our Rise Up series, looking at the impact of agriculture on our soils and understanding the damage that we are doing to the soils just by the way we produce our food that really shocked me. Um, seeing the difference between a farm that has been uh, industrially farmed and a farm that is regeneratively and uh, or organically um, is really quite eye-opening when you see the difference in the soil structure, the difference in the results in terms of water retention, uh, the difference in that even in the quality in terms of nutrients of of the food that's coming out um, of the land um, and meeting farmers who are on this regenerative journey who've seen the direct results uh, for themselves in terms of the um, yeah, the, the, the positive uh, results of working with nature and not against it. Um, I think it was just an area for me that I had not, and I guess not many people don't really think about the vital role that our soils play for us in producing our food. Um, And yeah, I'm really excited about this now as an area that I want to support as a business. We are working with a company called Soil Heroes who are supporting that that regenerative journey for many farmers. We're working directly with two farms in the UK to support them. Um, Instead of offsetting, we are um, investing in those farms with farmers to help them to do things like plant wildflower meadows that attract um, pollinators. They are doing minimum or no, preferably tillage that stops the breakup of the um, of the soils and so protects the soil structure. Um, they're planting cover crops all year round and and also um, a mix of of, uh, of crops on the land in a rotation. Um, and uh, yeah, I think it's just really fantastic that the work that they're doing 
but also it's going to be critical for us as a business. We're reliant on an agricultural product, primarily barley, but also wheat in the form of the bread that we're using. And so it's only right, I feel, for us to be investing in the very people and the very land that is producing um, those vital ingredients for us. So, yeah, I'm I'm very excited about soil, um, but and it's been quite a recent discovery. Louisa has touched upon so many aspects of soil regeneration. It's hard to draw out the most important. The key thing Louisa highlights is that the good soil quality is essential for businesses in the food and beverage industry to succeed. More importantly, it's essential for us as a species to survive. and Therefore, we must change the way we farm since conventional methods are damaging the soil quality. Emma, what are the consequences of soil degradation? A third of the world's soil is either highly or moderately degraded, and that is actually having disastrous effects around the world, creating things like landslides, floods, pollution, desertification, biodiversity loss, but also a a huge decline in global food production because of reduced productivity. And this is threatening food security, future food security. Soil is one of the most important natural carbon sinks. And when it's degraded through overuse of tilling, fertilizers and pesticides, monocropping and being left exposed when fallow, the carbon in soil is released faster. And this leads to a vicious circle of further carbon loss, reducing its ability to sequester atmospheric carbon. But then soil degradation isn't just about carbon. Soil is full of millions of living organisms that interact with one another. So it's full of bacteria. They have a major influence on the formation, structure and productivity of the soil. A teaspoon of healthy soil contains more organisms than there are humans living on earth. Intensive farming practices break up the soil structure through extra tilling um, and all sorts of other processes, which leads to reduction in the soil organisms which help plants to thrive. These soil biota are vital for plant growth and health. And yeah, so regenerative agriculture increases soil organic matter and that increases the biota diversity and also the above ground biodiversity. It increases water retention. It increases the fertility of the soil, ecosystem resilience, nutrients in the food that's grown in it. Yeah, so regenerative agriculture reverses the human-caused soil degradation paradigm, which we've kind of constructed. How important for climate change are these methods for food production? Food production is massive, actually. We've mentioned um, methods of crop growing and seen how removing pesticides and fertilisers, reducing tilling, intercropping cover crops all decrease the sort of net emissions of producing plant foods. So for plant-based food and beverages, production methods can make a huge difference for climate change. However, when you look at animal-derived foods, the same isn't true, because although organic and regenerative farming can be much better for soil health and for the animals themselves while they're alive, counterintuitively, in a way, expansive farming of animals is worse for the planet than intensive farming across a range of environmental indicators that you can look at. The emissions for production of meat is the elephant in the room, really. The highly inefficient transfer of energy from plant to animal increases the carbon footprint of meat and cheese compared with eating plants. 
Animal agriculture produces around 51% of all global emissions, whereas all methods of transportation combined only account for 13%, which puts it in proportion. So meat has by far the highest carbon footprint per kilogram of protein. A lamb's protein has 100 times the global warming potential of protein from nuts, for example. So for the food industry, the elephant in the room is that shifting away from meat and dairy is crucial if companies want to be part of a sustainable future in which the whole world can be fed. Back to Toastale and a glimpse into the future. What's next? There is always more that we can do as a business ourselves. Um, We are limited somewhat by our capacity. We are a team of four employees um, and, and two contractors. So we have six people all together working on toast. For some bigger companies that have smaller suppliers, they can put the weight of their own business and to push those suppliers to to make the changes themselves. We are smaller than most of our suppliers. So that makes that really challenging. And our approach has therefore been to be open, transparent, engaging, positive, to try to bring others on the journey with us and inspire other organisations to be part of what we're trying to achieve. Um, and we're, we're definitely seeing the whole industry having moved, I think, I mean, the whole world, country, it seems to have changed over the past year in terms of awareness of climate change and uh, loss of nature. Uh, so we're definitely seeing improvement. Toastdale's environmental achievements are truly inspiring. But it's not just us that think so. And the ultimate accolade from our business perspective is the Queen's Award for Enterprise uh, for Sustainable Development that we won last year. Um, we are incredibly proud uh, to receive that award. There are very few businesses that do. And I think it really recognises the work that we're doing, not just about making ourselves sustainable, but about trying to share our experience with others and trying to bring along others on that journey as well. We're, we're about being an open and joyous movement um, and not just a sustainable business. Congratulations, Louisa, and to the rest of the team at Toastale. That's an incredible award and very well deserved. And thank you for joining us for this important episode of Target 1.5. If you'd like to ask Louisa a question or share your thoughts about the topics we have discussed today, please join us for a post-podcast discussion at sustainabilitysolved.org. Don't forget to check out our other episodes in this mini-series on law and finance. And don't miss the next one when we get our guests back for a roundtable discussion. They'll be talking about the critical lessons they've learned and how they apply to other industries. That's next on Target 1.5.